The only man who never makes a mistake is the man who never does anything. Welcome to Solving the Financial Puzzle, where we seek to unravel the mysteries of personal finance. Join us as we help you put together the pieces of your own financial puzzle. This is Solving the Financial Puzzle with certified financial planner, Dan Caprell. Hello and welcome to another edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle podcast, where every week we attempt to take what many perceive as complicated and certainly boring and do our best to try to make it understandable and maybe even somewhat interesting, or at least that's what we're that's what we're going to try to do. Uh, I'm your host, Dan Capril. If you ever need to reach out to me, there's a number of ways that you can do that. Uh, one of the easiest ways is to just schedule a call with me. And the way we do that is just go to www.talktodc, my initials, dancapril.com, talktodc.com. If you go there, you'll get my schedule, and you'll be able to request a time. You'll put your name and number down there, and I will um, happily uh, call you back. So that's one way. You can certainly email me too, dan at matsonandcapril.com. So whatever works best for you, happy to uh, talk to you, answer any questions you have. Also, I want to remind you, if you enjoy getting information about personal finance every week, we have a really high-powered newsletter. It's called um, Your Money Jigsaw, and you can get that by going to yourmoneyjigsaw.com. And you can sign up for that. It'll come to you every week. I think I think we send it out on Fridays. And we literally, we scour the internet looking for the best stories in personal finance. And we get them delivered right to you. So you don't have to get on a lot of search engines yourself. We're going to do that for you. And we're going to send it to you every single week. There's no cost for that. So just go to yourmoneyjigsaw.com anytime you want. And you can sign up for that uh, weekly newsletter. All right. So... I, in the process of doing something I've never done before, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned on this show that we had, my wife and I had sold our house and we did it somewhat spontaneously. Um, we're empty nesters now and the house that we have, it's, it's a great house, love the house. It's more than we need without, without a doubt. And, you know, it, it was ideal when we were raising our son, but it's really not ideal for us anymore. Um, so we decided to take advantage of the hot housing market that we're seeing here in Cincinnati, which in the 15 years I've lived here, we've never been in a hot housing market. So this is actually kind of nice. Uh, since we have a three-car ranch, I was assured by our realtor that it would sell very quickly. And she was right. Uh, the very first person who saw it made an offer. And so in a couple of weeks now, we are going to be moving to downtown Cincinnati. We will become urban dwellers living in a high-rise, something I'm very excited about. Uh, but what we also decided to do was to find the eventual retirement home. Now, for those of you who know me, I one of my biggest hobbies and passions, I have a couple of them. One is music, and the other is trout fishing, especially fly fishing. So we um, are in the process of building our retirement slash weekend slash vacation home, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, just south of Nashville, Tennessee. So don't worry, for those of you who are in Cincinnati, I'm not moving, I'm staying in Cincinnati, but if you don't care where I go on my weekends, well, that's where I'll be. I'll probably be in Nashville most of my weekends, probably spend the holidays down there, stuff like that. You know, if the weather's bad, spend a little bit of time down there. But uh, we fell in love with an area uh, uh, outside of Franklin called West Haven, just a wonderful community and a lot to do. And they have a lot of cool things, particularly as it relates to the things I like, music, music 
fishing. Um, Beth's a, a big fan of music, but more importantly, Beth's a big fan of getting to the beach, and we're going to be that much closer, about six hours from the, um, the Florida panhandle. So it's going to be very nice. But building a house is an interesting challenge. I've owned a couple of new homes in my life, but they were already built. I didn't have any say into what was there or anything like that. It was just, uh, here it is. In this case, it was just a plot of land. So we had to make a lot of decisions. Now, frankly, I could care less about most of the things that go into a house. Uh, if you were to ask me questions about my current home, I'm, I'm not a real detailed person when it comes to my house. So I, I couldn't tell you. Um, what was interesting, though, was um, how expensive things are because you get a base cost. And then every time you want to make the slightest change, there's an extra for that. Um, I will admit, in this one instance, I'm maybe not practicing everything I preach to people because I'm a big believer in trying to get that house paid up, and the house in Cincinnati was just about paid up. Uh, but really, from a lifestyle standpoint, this will be fine. But it's a it's it's a daunting task. Uh, there's so many questions that you could ask, and you know, I shrugged my shoulders <laughs> at the time, and I just go, "Well, what do you have in the model?" And they'll tell me, and then I'll say, "Okay, well, what's that cost?" And then they'll tell me, and then I'll write it down, and then takes a little bit of time to to process all this. Um, I am very comfortable in saying this will be the last purchase I ever make. Now, people who know me might roll their eyes a little bit, but no, no, this this is it. This is the ideal place for me to grow and Beth to grow old in. Already kind of getting old, but not too old. Um, so I'm very excited about that. And, uh, um, you know, the, the apartment that we're leasing in downtown Cincinnati right now is great. Eventually, I will probably downsize that to a smaller one. But I intend on maintaining that residence as my regular residence really for, for quite some time. But I wanted to share that with you, for those of you who know me. So if you're ever in the Nashville area and you want to get together, great restaurants, great music, please um, give me a call. I would love to show you the new town. Now, before you take anything that I say too seriously on this show, let me offer today's disclaimer, which is, look, I don't know you. So take this for what it is. This is educational information. Do not take this as direct advice. You should get advice from your financial advisor, your CPA, your attorney. Now, if you would like to discuss that with me, if you would like to discuss the possibility of working with me, great. If you're not already doing that, very simple to do that. Just go to talktodc.com. That's talktodc, my initials, Dan Capril, talktodc.com. And you can schedule a time, or if you just can't wait, you got a call right now, that's fine. 513-563-PLAN is our number. That's 513-563-7526. But keep in mind, the information on this show is designed to be just in educational. Information for you. Uh, don't apply it until you've done a very careful and thorough analysis. So for today's puzzle of the week, or I should say this week's puzzle of the week, I want to talk about terrible mistakes. Mistakes that you can make in your personal finances that you should go through every attempt to avoid. Usually when I talk about these, they can be a little controversial because some people hear it and they'll be like, no, 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 that's not true. Now, whether it's true or not is often based on the assumptions that you use, 
but I'm going to kind of use the assumptions by saying most of the time. Most of the time, this is a mistake, all right? You're always, you can always find me an extreme example where maybe it's not. But there are five that I have thought long and hard about. I see them all the time, and I want to give them to you. So let's take the first one. Ready? Number one, buying permanent life insurance. All right, so let's explain what's at play here. Two types of life insurance, actually there are many types, but you can put them into two categories. There is permanent and there is term insurance. And we talked about this at length in a prior show, but but permanent insurance is designed to be insurance for the rest of your life. You get the policy, you pay the premium, eventually you die, it pays. Okay. The other approach is term insurance. And with term insurance, you pay the premium for a certain term, say 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. If you die during the term, the policy pays. If not, the policy pays absolutely nothing and you have to go get a new policy. All right, so which is better? Well, in my opinion, term insurance most of the time is superior to permanent insurance simply because it's cheaper and therefore you can buy more coverage. So if your budget was one where you could only afford to pay say $250 a month for life insurance, you would be able to buy a lot more life insurance for $250 a month if you bought term insurance than you could if you needed to buy permanent insurance. Now, most of the time, probably 90% of the time, the reason that you are buying life insurance is for income replacement. Something happens to you and your heirs need money because you, the primary or the secondary breadwinner, you don't exist anymore. They need that money replaced you're gonna be able to get a far bigger bang for your buck if you buy term insurance. You'll be able to buy more death benefit. If you go the permanent insurance route, yes, it is insurance for life, so there is no term. But the amount of death benefit that you will receive for the same amount of money will be significantly less. Now, you may have heard this expression, buy term and invest the difference. So let's just say hypothetically, to buy the amount of coverage you needed, you would have to pay $500 a month if you were using permanent insurance, okay? Term insurance might be $1,000 a month. So there's a $400 difference. With permanent insurance, for that $500 a month, you will get cash value. So in other words, if you cancel the policy, maybe 10, 15 years down the road, you will get some of that premium back that you paid in, plus interest, depending on the interest that's been credited to the policy. You won't get a lot of interest, but you might get some. On the other hand, if you, buy per, if you buy term insurance, well, there's no cash value. But instead of paying $500 a month, you're only paying $100 a month. All right, so what should you do if you were to compare these two? Well, you could, if you wanted to, spend $500 a month, put $100 a month into the term policy, and then take the other $400 a month and put it in a Roth IRA. Now, if you put it in a Roth IRA, the money will grow tax-deferred, and you can pull the money out later for retirement tax-free. Now, you're going to find that in most cases, you're going to have far more money in your Roth IRA than you're going to have in the cash value of your permanent life insurance. Now, again, here's where the permanent life insurance junkies are going to get all excited and say, yeah, but what if? What if after the term ends, your, your health fails and you can't buy insurance? Okay. But of course, we could always convert that term insurance to permanent insurance at any point, well, almost at any point in time, if we wanted to go 
that route. So mistake number one is, is really the, the mistake isn't so much the product you're buying. The mistake is in not getting the amount of coverage you need for the price that you're willing to pay. And that's why term insurance for almost everybody I know is the best option. So that's mistake number one. Mistake number two, borrowing from your 401k. Yes, you've got an employer 401k, you've been very dutifully putting money in there every single pay period, you got a few hundred thousand dollars stacked up, and now you wanna buy a new car. And you think to yourself, well, why don't I just borrow the money from the 401k? I mean, it is my money after all. And so you go to your employer and they're willing to lend you a certain percentage of the account balance and they give it to you and you buy the car and you pay it back the loan every two weeks from your paycheck. What is wrong with that? Well, let me tell you what's wrong with that. Your 401k was never intended to be a lending instrument. Your 401k was meant to be an accumulator for your retirement. Now, if you have $200,000 in your 401k and you want to borrow $50,000 to go buy a car, understand that that $50,000 is, is being essentially set aside. You're not going to get any interest on that money. So as you are paying the money back, oh, there may be, a, oh, no, no, it shouldn't even be that. As you're paying that money back, I just had a thought for a second there, the money that's, the loan that's still outstanding, it doesn't grow. It doesn't grow at all. So your overall rate of return on your account is going to be decreased significantly. You're using your 401k to get a high rate of return, hopefully, for your future retirement. But if you're taking loans against it, whatever you're borrowing, whatever's outstanding, that is not going to get that rate of return. Also, understand this, that you have to pay that money back with after-tax money. So if you owe $100 to your 401k, you may have to earn $125 in order to net the $100 necessary to pay back the loan. Not a good way to go. Here's another problem. If you should leave your employer, then you better pay back that loan before you leave. Because with a lot of employer plans, if you leave with a loan outstanding, then the outstanding loan is considered to be taxable income to you, which means you will have to pay income tax on the outstanding loan. And if you're under 59 and a half, you'll pay a 10% penalty. A 401k loan is almost never a good idea. There are so many other possibilities that you can go with. All I'm suggesting is you explore them before you go to that one because most people think, oh, that's the easy money. No, that's not the easy money. That's going to hurt you long term. All right, mistake number three, not having enough cash reserves. Now, it's because people don't have cash reserves that they do make 401k loans. Don't do it. Take the time to build up three to six months of living expenses. Know how much money you need every single month. Multiply it by at least three. I prefer six. And have that money sitting in cash. Don't worry that it's not getting much of any return. That's okay. It's a cash reserve. Its purpose there is to help you avoid going into debt. So if you have an unexpected expense, a deductible to pay, whatever it might be, you have the money to meet it. The cash reserve account was not meant to be your vacation fund. Do not treat it as such. In fact, pretend you don't even have it until you absolutely have to access it. The key to staying out of debt is having reserves. Number four, buying a timeshare. 
Time shares are interesting. They're very popular here in Cincinnati. I'm not a native Cincinnatian, so I never quite got that timeshare bug. By the time I moved here, I already knew about them. I really think they are the function of salesmanship. You go on vacation, you go to Hilton Head, you go down to Disney, whatever, and they you get invited, you know, come to this free dinner, listen to our timeshare um, presentation, and off you go. And what they do is they sell you on the idea that you're going to basically have a great vacation every year for life. We'll give you a set two-week period, and you pay this amount of money, and you're fine. And on the surface, they look great. And for many years, they are great. What happens is eventually you don't want them anymore, but you still have to pay the monthly service cost. Eventually, your kids stop going on that vacation. Eventually, you want to go someplace else. But they're still hitting you with the monthly amounts, and they become very, very difficult to get rid of. There's so many options when it comes to travel. Why lock yourself in? You're not going to sell that timeshare for a profit. I promise you that. You're not. There's many places you can stay. VRBO, home away. You can rent almost any condo you want. We just came back a week in Hilton Head. Beautiful condo right on the beach. I've stayed in that complex numerous times. Not necessarily that unit, but other units. It's great. I don't have to pay any monthly cost. I pay them for the time I use it. And that's that. All right, number five. Are you ready? The fifth biggest mistake that people can make. And I am guilty of making this mistake myself, but I knew it going in. Leasing a car. Leasing a car is probably the most expensive way in which you can own a car. And that's simply because most people's driving habits are not conducive to leasing. When you lease a car, you're basically buying the equity value of the car with the idea that you're going to buy a little bit of that equity value and then you're going to hand it back. Where people get in trouble very often is they end up using more of the equity value than they planned on. In other words, they signed a lease agreement that said they would drive so many miles a year and they drove more. And for every, say, 1,000 miles that you go over, you have to pay an extra $250. Leasing is only really good from a lifestyle standpoint. Uh, you don't have to come have any money down when you, when you get the lease. And um, it allows you to have a new car regularly. But it never allows you to stop paying. You always have to keep paying. And if you decide to buy the car at the end of the lease, that's the most expensive way to buy that car. You're not going to get to negotiate the price the way you normally would. Without a doubt, the most affordable way to deal with cars is to buy a car that's about a year to two years old. It's already got 15,000, 20,000 miles on it. So a lot of that new purchase value is, you don't have to worry about that. Buy it and literally drive it into the ground. Buy a good one. By all means, you want to buy a Mercedes that's two years old, go for it but drive it into the ground. Don't get caught up with the leasing approach where you have a car payment forever. Now, like I just said, I'm guilty of this. Right now, my car is on a lease. Now, I thought it through very carefully, um, and I won't go into all the math, but I knew that, that I was not gonna exceed the miles at all. The, um, the car that I have is, well, I don't wanna pay that much to buy the car new. Very hard to find it on a used type situation. So I'm putting this in the category of luxury. Now, 
you know, there was a time I couldn't do that. I can, I can do it today. But particularly young people, please buy a used car, drive it into the ground. Eventually, you can get to a point when you're in your mid-50s where you can break this advice. But if you're looking to build your net worth, the leasing is not really the way to do it. We're supposed to make a list of all the things we wanted to do in our lives before we kick the bucket. Cutesy. Filling the bucket is our lifestyle section where each week I discuss ways to spend your time, live a little bit in the moment, and live a life without regrets. So today I want to talk to you about one of my favorite lifestyles. Um, please um, humor me if you think this is an awful topic, this awful topic that I'm going to share with you. But I don't think it is because I've had this discussion with many people and they've told me that this specific item that I do quite regularly is on their bucket list. And that is fly fishing. So if you've never thought about fishing and you, the idea of fishing just, you know, it's, is abhorrent to you, or just bear with me for just a few minutes. But if you've ever thought about it, if you've ever seen these pictures of people in these beautiful settings of Colorado and Montana, mountains all around them, and they've got this fly rod and they're catching these trout that fight them like crazy when, they, when you get one on the line. If you've ever thought about doing that, well, first of all, most people that I, I ask them, I say, well, why don't you do it? They just think it's overwhelming. They think, oh, man, there's just so much. I mean, there's all those flies and all those knots, and I just don't think I could ever do it. Well, first of all, every fly fisherman started where you are. Fifteen years ago when I started doing this, I didn't know the first thing about any of it. The only reason I went was a, a buddy of mine. Um, we hadn't seen each other in years. Uh, he hadn't done it either, and he thought it'd be kind of a good idea. So we, we met in... in um, Eastern Tennessee, and we hired a, a guide, and we had just a blast. So the first thing I want you to know is if you ever want to go fly fishing, all you have to do is hire a guide, and he'll tell you everything you need to know. He'll, you don't have to bring any equipment at all, but the only thing you'll have to bring is a fishing license. That's it. Uh, so don't worry about all the little intricacies and all that. The second thing he will do is he will teach you how to cast. Now, teach, learning how to cast is not very difficult. Some people think it is. No. Now, to be a great caster, yeah, that, that takes work. But you don't have to be great at casting. You just have to be adequate at casting. You just have to get the, the line in the water. Uh, most of the time, the fish eat below the surface. So how you present it, not that big of a deal. But I do want to give you some insights because if this is something you've ever wanted to do, the first bit of advice I would give you is find a friend who's done it and ask if you can go along. Now, if that's not an option for you, no problem. Call a guide. Now, you need to understand that if you're going to fly fish for trout, not every part of the country has trout. Trout naturally live in cold water. They can't live in warm water. There's really a couple of places to go. If you, in, if you live in the mountains, so if you're in the, um, you know, the, the northwest part of the United States, you live in, in trout fishing heaven. It's awesome. But if you live in the southeast, you live in some pretty good trout fishing country too because the southeast has a lot of dams. Part of the Tennessee Valley Authority built you know, many years ago during the uh, Roosevelt administration. And the beautiful thing about a dam is that the dam releases the water from the bottom of the lake. It's extremely cold. So as long as the river is not being used for commercial purposes and the purpose of the dam is to generate electricity, then chances are you have a very good trout stream nearby. So most of the fishing that I do is on dam-controlled waters, and I actually prefer it. 
I think that the trout that live in a dam-controlled stream are um, they're better fighters. They're used to fighting strong current because depending on when the water gets released. When you go up into the mountains, uh, there isn't a lot of strong currents. The, the streams are basically the byproduct of runoff from the mountains, the water coming down. So they don't really have to fight that, that type of current. But those are those little intricacies. Of course, if you're going to fish in the southeast and you're going to be on dam-controlled water, you need to know when they're releasing the water. Because if you're like me, one time I was stuck in the middle and here comes the water and I was fine, but I couldn't get to the other side where all my stuff was. So I had to walk four hours. So be careful. But fly fishing is incredibly relaxing. If you've never seen the movie A River Runs Through It, go see that first. The fly fishing in that movie isn't exactly good fly fishing because they're using actors, but that's okay. You're going to get a feel for the scenery. Um, it wasn't filmed in Missoula, Montana, but that's where they tell you it, was, it occurs. That's fine. I've been to Missoula. Beautiful, beautiful place. In fact, I'm getting ready to go back here um, in just a few weeks. So fly fishing, what I want to leave you with is if you ever thought about doing it, um, you know, if you live in Cincinnati, ask me. I'll be more than happy to take you. But if, um, if not, get a guide. And there's an ex excellent chance you will be hooked, man or woman. In fact, I contend women are better fly fishermen than men because you're more patient, you're far more observant, and you understand the art of finesse. Whereas men, eh, we, we tend to get a little bit full of brute force. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. This week's question of the week, it comes from Leslie from Loveland. Leslie, I live in Loveland too, so I wonder what parts of Loveland you, you live in. Anyway, she writes, with my new job, I have disability insurance that covers 65% of my earnings. My last job, I didn't have any coverage, but I did buy an individual disability policy. Now that my employer plan, my new employer has this coverage, do I still need to keep my old policy what do you think? Excellent question, um, Leslie. First of all, I applaud you for looking at disability insurance. Uh, most people tend to overlook it. And you need to understand you are far more likely to become disabled in your life than you, you know, than death <laughs> until you get older. It's true. Like a 35-year-old, far more likely to become disabled than die. And of course, the financial implications of disability are far worse. All right, so let's talk about your employer plan that you now have, Leslie. If it's covering 65% of your earnings, understand that there's an excellent chance that that benefit, should you become disabled, the benefit they pay you will be taxed. So you won't be walking away with 65% of your normal check. You'll get less. The reason that it is set up to be 65% is because that is normally what your after-tax earnings are. But if your company is paying the premium, well, then you're not going to get that tax-free. Now, some companies will allow you to pay tax on the premiums that they're going to pay. So let me give you an example. Let's say your premium, what the, your employer has to pay the insurance company, let's say it's $3,000 a year. Employers will very often give you the option of either taking the $3,000, applying it to your disability and not being taxed, or choosing to pay tax on the $3,000. Now, you're probably saying, why would I choose to pay tax on $3,000 if I'm not required to? Well, the reason you would want to 
is because if you did get disabled, then the benefits you would receive would be completely tax-free. You wouldn't pay a dollar of tax. Now, not all employers provide this option, so you have to ask about it. If your employer says, Leslie, no, I'm sorry, um, you can't pay the tax on the benefit. We're not set up that way. So yes, if you become disabled, you're gonna only, you know, you're gonna get 65%, but you're gonna have to pay tax. Well, then there's an excellent reason why you should think about keeping that individual policy that you have, because it can fill the gap. It can pay for the difference. If it's a policy that you own, you haven't been deducting those premiums. That means the disability benefit that you will get from the insurance company, it's tax-free to you. So if that's your plan, if your plan is just 65% and you get taxed on that, I would definitely suggest you consider keeping the policy. Now you could modify the policy. If you don't wanna have all the coverage that's on there, fine. That will lower your premium. Understand this also, that very often bonuses are not covered by your disability insurance from your employer. So if a big part of your compensation is a bonus or a commission, you wanna think seriously about keeping that disability policy. Disability coverage is very easily overlooked, but the financial impact to you is far worse than dying because you're still consuming. So I applaud you for looking at that. Think about that very carefully. If you have any questions on that or any insurance, feel free to reach out to me. Easiest way to reach out to me is go to talktodc.com. That's talktodc, my initials, dancapril.com. And you'll be able to schedule time there, and I'll be more than happy to talk to you about your insurance, answer any questions that you might have. But excellent question, Leslie. Thank you. All right, Leslie brought up a great question about disability. It was such a good question that I decided to change this week's homework. This is the part of the podcast where every week I give you a little bit of homework where you can apply what we learned. So if you are working, you have a job, I want you to find out today if your company provides you with disability insurance. Just ask human resources. Then what I want you to find out is who's paying the premium. Are you paying the premium or are they paying the premium? Chances are they're paying the premium. And if that's the case, then ask them, am I paying tax on that premium? Because if you're not paying tax on the premium, well, on the one hand, I guess it's nice that you don't have to pay tax on something, but on the other hand, understand that the benefit, if you need it, will probably be taxed. So it's very important that you understand what you have. So many financial planning mistakes come because people just don't know. I've heard people say to me all the time, I don't know what I don't know. Okay, well, we're gonna find out. We're gonna find out. Now, I, on today's download, I have given you an explanation of how disability insurance works. So if you go to, if you're listening to this show on iTunes, fine. What you wanna do though, is you wanna go to dancapril.com and you wanna click on today's show because on, on the website, we have listed an, a number of downloads and the big one for this show is going to be um, understanding disability. And so what I want you to do is I want you to click on that, download that, but remember your assignment is find out what kind of coverage you have Find out if you're getting taxed. And if you are, you need to fix this problem. Because if you're getting taxed on it, there may be nothing you can do about the tax, but you may want to start thinking about buying additional coverage on your own to fill that gap. 
if anything, just find out what you have. If you want to reach out to me, be more than happy to talk with you. Do it a couple ways. Like I said, go to talktodc.com. That's talktodc, my initials, Dan Capril, talktodc.com. Schedule time to talk to me, or you can email me, dan at matsonandcapril.com. Well, that wraps up today's edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle podcast. I've enjoyed it. I want to thank uh, Leslie for putting in an excellent question. And I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I look forward to talking to you next week. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Solving the Financial Puzzle. If you want to find out more about Dan Capril or about today's topic, visit matsonandcapril.com. And be sure to join us for the next edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle. Information provided on today's show is provided for information purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with an investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action. Dan Capril is an investment advisor representative of MPM Wealth Advisors and Capril Wealth Coaching, LLC. Both firms are registered investment advisors. To obtain a copy of Form ADV and a private policy statement for either firm, call 800-353-7923.